Good afternoon, everybody, and welcome to the 28th episode of the Replatform podcast. It's uh, myself, James Gerd, and my co-host, Paul Rogers. Paul, how's it going today, mate? Yeah, good. Pretty tired. Um, yeah, a bit later than we usually do, so yeah, quite a long day, but yeah, not too bad. How are you? Yeah, it's, it's uh, yeah, was it? It's, it's 5.40 on a Monday afternoon, which is the most perfect time to drain your brain of enthusiasm <laughs> for a podcast, I think. Yeah. No, all good, thank you. Uh, another busy day. Um, I think all days are busy at the moment, but looking forward to this one as well. Um, seems, I think I'll say this every episode, but I generally look forward to all these discussions because the, the one today, I know you've got a stack of experience on. I've, I've been involved um, in, in many of these over the years, but it's uh, managing content migration for a new site launch. So I'll just frame it a bit and then let's get stuck into some meaty questions about the trials and tribulations of content migration. So the, the whole premise of this episode is every single project needs content migrated into it, regardless of whether you're just updating your current platform, migrating to a completely new one, um, whether you're rebranding, not rebranding, every single website has a shed load of content that goes into it. And this is often an area that gets overlooked or underestimated. And it comes back to bite people in the arse later on in the project. Uh, and that can have several impacts. One, it can be stuff's not ready to the right quality and there's a blind panic to, to, to stick things into a CMS or to provide information to developers. Or, or the other thing is you end up compromising and creating substandard assets simply because you need to stick something into a placeholder to go live. So that's the kind of uh, key area we're going to focus on today and share some insights and talk about what good and bad looks like and what people can do to better manage this. So let's start with a nice question for you paul so given the fact that content preparation and the change management for new systems is often underestimated and adds complexity why do you think that is why why do you think this can be a surprise to e-commerce teams yeah so i guess um i think there's a lot of work here like the average i mean even for small sites like pretty much every project i've ever worked on the content migration side has been underestimated in some cases pretty like dramatically um, and I think there's just a lot of work, but as you say, there's lots of different forms of content that people forget about. I mean, even if you're like, even if you've got like the best systems in place and the best processes for kind of migrating like standard content, like product content, category content, etc. Um, in most cases, you'll find there's so many different like page types that have been forgotten about, or um, so much kind of content population work across different areas of the site that maybe don't fall under a standard page. Um, or you might forget about different kind of marketing aspects. I think there's just so much content and so many influences, um, influences that, yeah, it's just, it's just a really big project and it's quite hard to quantify as well. It's not until you kind of really start it and you start to, and I guess it depends when you start it, but until you really start to look at kind of all existing content within a platform, any kind of dynamic pages, start to like kind of audit any assets or kind of media files and things like that. Um, that you really start to kind of understand how much work there is, I guess. Um, but yeah, I think that's it. And then um, I think the, the other thing is, is just that there's a lot of other uh, kind of people need, that need to be involved. So, I mean, the one that I always highlight here is SEO. And I'm always like a bit of a policeman in projects from an SEO perspective, just because I used to do a lot of, on that side. Um, and I guess content migration and data migration are two of the biggest 
things to really think about during a project from an SEO perspective and um, in an ideal world <clears throat> you're trying to keep things the same and I guess there are probably other people in the project that want to like improve things or uh, remove things or kind of add new things or change navigation and everything else um, but all of that I think kind of falls into this part of the project and all of those kind of debates and decisions need to be done at this point as well. Yeah definitely and I I think that point you said about little things uh, that aren't thought about that then when aggregated create a load of resource issue is such a critical one. And I think that my experience there's two dynamics. Number one is lack of experience because you could know your content inside out, but if you've not gone through a replatform or migration, you take things for granted and don't appreciate the, the level of asset management that's required to get things fit for purpose to move into a new system. And that might mean an asset in a current format isn't quite fit for purpose and needs to be reworked, for example. And the second bit is part, I think it's parts of the site that people just take for granted that they don't realise require content inputs too. So a classic one is um, make like drop down menus on a desktop view where you have a main menu drop down and somebody has decided that they want to use icons for um, like shop by uh, category links instead of just text links. And nobody's thought through that uh, a creative department or an agency has to be briefed on creating those icons because they don't yet exist. And a design is created that uses the icons, but then all of a sudden when you go to start creating a test site, there are no icons there. So the developers are asking you, where are the assets to put in here? So it's all these little things that, that, that I think people take for granted. I think the big stuff people generally are okay with, but it's those little bits that create an absolute headache. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I think another one is um, if you're kind of making design changes or even if you're not, to be fair, sometimes uh, and you end up needing to change the dimension of images, um, that's, that can often be a massive task as well that falls under content migration. Oh, God, yeah, especially if you change the image ratios yeah. and all of a sudden your, your standard pack shots no longer work properly because if they resize, they do a weird crop. That's, uh, that's something that... Uh, that a development partner will love you for if you don't have images ready to put into systems for like PDPs and PLPs. Um, but we'll we'll come back to this like the biggest headaches in a minute because we'll we'll talk about headaches and mitigation around that. Um, key question on this now, I know you've outlined why it's so important is because it impacts every stage of the design and every development sprint, and it's used in so many places. Who has ownership? So what what is your recommendation as someone who's been through this so many times with different clients? Who owns this? How do you split it up? How do you define? Is there an overall content owner? Are there sub owners who take individual parts of the content? Yeah, so I think um, in I think having an internal product owner is really important. So having one person on the client side that is ultimately responsible for kind of gathering all of the content and managing all of the different stakeholders internally. So I think that's um, really important. Also, when it comes to kind of QAing this and kind of content through the UAT phase because when you go into UAT um, I always find that when you've got loads of people raising bugs like quite a high proportion is actually content and you need someone to kind of own that as well or be responsible for that level of UAT um, so I think that's really important and then I guess on the other side you probably want the equivalent uh, from a, a, the agency assuming you're using uh, an external development agency um, yeah you probably want an equivalent product owner that's kind of guiding the internal product owner and maybe kind of representing content um, for the kind of developers within the agency as well. Um, yeah, but then I'd imagine there'll be a lot of people from different teams um, involved in this part as well. Like you'll probably have people from the marketing team, a brand team, 
um, yeah, kind of e-com teams, um, merchandisers will be involved. Yeah, so you'll have a lot of different people involved. Yeah, I, I think this is critical. Setting out a race and, and having clear responsibility matrices, and this is critical, especially if you're in a if you're in a small company, you generally get away with it. It's normally one person doing all the coordination, but in a big company with loads of different stakeholders, I've always found that that you have your content owner who's responsible. Maybe it's a head of editorial, or maybe it's even a head of content management. So they're responsible for for defining the content strategy and the the quality and the of the assets. But having somebody who project manages it internally alongside the technical PM is critical because you it's. I don't think it's sensible to ask a technical PM to project manage internal stakeholders on their content production. They need to focus on getting the project live. So they need a counterpart in the client who is coordinating and making sure things are getting done. Yeah, I, um, I worked with an agency recently on this and they had quite an interesting setup. And essentially they have a project manager who, as you say, is kind of focused on delivery. Um, and then a product manager who is more kind of like, I guess, solutions focused um, and more kind of from an econ background and then they were responsible for the content side and I thought that worked quite nicely and essentially the project manager was kind of managing the product manager yeah um, who was um, responsible for all of that kind of stuff yeah yeah that, I think that definitely makes sense I just think somebody from, from having worked with loads of agencies the, the technical PM will thank you if they have somebody who is just taking that heat away from them or in terms of coordinating people internally and dealing with the internal politics around content where people were arguing over whether the image um, should be in this port, this ratio or this size or on this background or it should be lifestyle or, or just functional product shot. Um, that's the kind of dilemmas that a technical PM doesn't need to have their time distracted by. Yeah. Um, okay, so product ownership, important. Next, see, I think the, the, the key thing we should talk about is biggest headaches, things that we see are a pain in the backside that need to be planned for and mitigated. So I'll, ki I'll kick off with one and then I'll be interested to hear the things that you typically find cause the largest headaches. For me, um, it's companies that have a, a huge amount of experience in, in, in the physical uh, world of design. So maybe it'd be store design or print materials and they've got a really good um, internal brand and artworking team, but they haven't designed specifically for digital. Therefore, they haven't thought through when they've created band, brand guidelines and styles, things like whether the fonts are web accessible. If they're not web accessible, what, what is their font they should be using online? Colors, do the colors tick accessibility guidelines? Do they have the right contrast to make it you know, accessible across devices and also to people with things like visual impairment? And thinking through that level of detail so that they have the sign off and approval internally on any adaption decisions that need to be made so that you don't get into a project where you suddenly have to redo things at speed which can lead to, to really bad um, decisions on that. So I've typically found that is, is a key one. And the best mitigation for that is to set that expectation up front during discovery um, and have an assessment done with somebody who's an experienced um, uh, digital e-commerce UXer to be able to point out where there might be gaps in thinking that need to be um, uh, you know, assessed internally. So I don't know whether you found that at all. Yeah, so I mean, um, I've definitely worked on a lot of projects where that hasn't been the case. Um, and I think um, on our average kind of project, I think it definitely makes sense to try and do it alongside the discovery. Um, and I think if I look at some of the more recent projects that I've worked on, there's generally been, you've got kind of the discovery with the agency and kind of um, 
where it's more focused on, I guess, the front end and functionality. And then alongside that, there's been an internal kickoff, uh, which we would usually be part of. Um, and then that internal kickoff, uh, there's, it's kind of been like the assigning of that kind of owner um, and that kind of audit piece around content and different assets yeah. and everything else. And then act, and like thinking about, I guess, there's often kind of almost two owners to a certain extent. You've got kind of content migration in terms of the obvious stuff that's being populated within the platform in terms of content like text content, written content, like uh, blog posts, uh, CMS page content, uh, dependent on whether it can be migrated programmatically, category page content, um, and things like the home page content, everything else. Um, and then you've got someone else that might be responsible for assets um, and creative. And I guess a lot of that depends also on like any other variables around the project. So things like new collection launches alongside the project or uh, around the same time as the project and like redesign and stuff like that. Um, I think, so like going back to the original question, one of the things that I am a real advocate of, and um, there's, there's so many other factors around this and it's not as easy as just deciding on this, but um, I'm a real advocate of avoiding redesign as part of a migration. And I feel like I always start with this mentality and then usually get kind of overpowered by different people. Um, and then the client will end up winning and then we'll um, we'll end up kind of doing like minor redesign maybe in most of the projects that I've been involved in. Um, but if you don't go down that route, content migrate, there's definitely less of a headache. And also going back to the SEO side, um, I think the better the content migration, the less uh, risk there is or like there's less risk around um, losing kind of organic visibility and revenue. Um, and I guess like when you kind of factor in that and some of the other aspects um often there's a good kind of business case for doing a redesign as part of a phase two and usually there's like a, a higher cost associated with doing that um but it definitely makes kind of the management of the project from a content perspective easier and definitely reduces the risk in some areas yeah i think that i think that's a i think that's a really good sensible like line in the sand if that's what we aim for unless there is a good business reason why we can't i mean i'm working on a project at the moment where it wouldn't have been possible to relaunch a site without doing a redesign because the current design is not aligned with the new brand vision and yeah. it would mean launching a site that would soon become out of sync with the offline world and you just you can't have that in a high-end brand at all you shouldn't have it anyway because it's confusing for customers so but yeah I, I think that's a good try and steer people away from um, making uh, a process too complicated because content can sometimes slow things down um, yeah. the other one that I've seen is product photography and this is a, this for me is a classic is where people might want to use a migration as an opportunity to springboard their current photography that they don't think is fit for purpose or it's dated you know they want to put more lifestyle images or increase the range of images to improve product conversion rates on pdps and you get all of these requirements captured in discovery like we want 360 degree images we want you know really good brand videos and they're all great and they're valid but they all require assets and those assets take production time. If you don't have an in-house production um, studio, which is you know, not, not every business is, has the luxury to be able to afford that in-house, then you've got to think through production time cycles, capacity in third parties, quality issues around creating all the images that, that are required to stitch together a proper 360 degree view and make it really usable properly for customers across devices. Um, and that often is a massive headache because People want a requirement, but the impact 
and the asset production side of it hasn't been thought through. Uh, and that's where I think coming back to that point I said about discovery, it's, it's, this is the critical thing that any time a requirement is articulated discovery, as you point out, that's when you need to assign a responsibility and say, right, do we have all the assets for this ready? Yes, no. If not, who's owning it? And, and then you can backfill deadlines once you've got a project plan up and running. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah I think there's some good points in there. Um, and I think, yeah, creating that kind of master spreadsheet almost where you're like allocating responsibility to the, other, to the different areas is really important. And also as part of that, like, I guess, making sure that everything's covered and having different people kind of in that spreadsheet to make sure that you're not missing anything. I think the one that you mentioned there, which is one that I think is the most common that I've seen overlooked is third parties. So things like content, uh, it might be like banners that are served by a third party. Um, it might be like product reviews or even merchant reviews. Um, yeah, all of that kind of stuff. That seems to be one of the areas that's either left really late and rushed or just forgotten. Yes, yeah, good point. And what else have you seen? Now, what other things cause headaches from a content migration point of view? So I guess I um, already touched on a few of these, but the SEO side, so often I see people kind of make decisions um, and there's no kind of SEO influence through the project. And then when it comes to maybe UAT, kind of two to four weeks from launch on an average project, um, there's suddenly the SEO is kind of involved and they notice mm. loads of content has changed across the site. Yeah. Um, so that's one thing that I've seen. Um, certain page types just forgotten about, certain content types just forgotten about. So they're um, two big ones. And um, yeah, so things like legacy product reviews might be one um, and like different legacy pages as well. And kind of uh, maybe kind of old landing pages or guides or things that don't fall under like a blog or like a standard uh, part of the site uh, being forgotten. Um, I'm just trying to think. Um, That's a good one, actually. Leg mapping of legacy content, because I think I've seen this in a few projects. People get excited about the new platform and the new stuff they're putting on. And then suddenly you get these old pages, which you know, they might be reasonably valuable, they get reasonable sessions, or they put internal links or whatever, and they're, they're just left out. And then suddenly people are like, oh, hang on a minute, what happened to this page that, that, that you know, Joe over in this department relies on? Oh, we forgot that. Yeah, absolutely. And I think yeah, like that, again, is often applied to yeah, a lot of stuff and like some of those pages not being, even if it's a case of kind of redirect, redirecting them or anything else can definitely cause a drop. So I think, um, yeah, there's lots of that kind of stuff. Um, I'm just trying to think of other content that's frequently forgotten now um, in terms of kind of page types. Um, I guess like maybe some obscure kind of category pages and product list pages that um, maybe you don't necessarily realize are as valuable as they are, or even if they're not valuable and they're just, they're just forgotten anyway, and then they're either redirected or not redirected. Um, but this comes back to your point about SEO, right? It, a, a good project is one that has an SEO in from the start to be able to just validate and influence decisions. Uh, I've got one at the moment where we've had an SEO agency and we created a migration statement of work with them where they would be validating every decision we make across the site in terms of site architecture, site map, URL schemas, optimization at page level, copy on the page, you know, what gets indexed, what doesn't and why, how you canonicalize so that you focus on high value pages. And it's just the value it adds is huge. It really is because you then don't have to try and, as you were saying before, rapidly unpick it in the last four weeks before live. 
Yeah, absolutely. I'm like a massive advocate of like the SEO product owner and like my preferred um, approach to a project is having like an individual person. So big can be from an agency and we, we're working on a couple of projects at the moment where it is essentially from an agency that we've essentially bought time in a way where that person is involved in calls and is involved in like signing off sprints and is involved in content migration sessions. Yeah. Um, yeah, all of that kind of stuff. And I think having like a level of QA all the way through the project, a level of input all the way through the project, and then a massive influence on discovery and UAT um, is really important. And also kind of, yeah, just making sure that they're kind of around or have like some level of visibility over kind of conversations um, around kind of architectural changes or content changes. Um, Definitely. I, I, that touches on a really important point is whoever's coordinating from the, the uh, client side needs to make decisions transparent to people who are involved in content production, because if you make a decision, it can impact something else. And I've had this recently in a project and we, we use Slack and I know some people can't stand Slack. It's fair enough. I find it really useful because I've got a trail going with the head of development at a partner discussing PLP hierarchies and, you know, uh, primary, secondary, tertiary level categories, interdependencies, and then the SEO bit in terms of, of, of what, what content needs to be made visible for indexing, what should be hidden, etc. And all I'm doing each time it, it is each time I have a recommendation, I'm validating it on Slack with the SEO. I'm getting responses within like an hour. And that would, if I tried to pull everyone together onto a call, that'd probably take two to three days. It's taking two hours in an afternoon. Yeah, I, I completely agree. And I actually think... Um... We could almost talk about Slack for most of this session. Like, so we, yeah. um, as you know, like we spoke about it a bit. We launched, uh, or one of our clients launched the site uh, last week. And the week before launch, everyone kind of moved over to Slack. And like all of the UAT uh, conversations were Slack, pre launch was Slack, kind of post launch was Slack. And um, it makes things so useful having like, QAs on Slack, um, even like a developer in one case that's kind of running most of the UAT bug fixing, um, and like all of the internal team, and then us and um, the SEO consultant, and having that one, uh, so one main Slack channel, and then kind of just being able to message people quickly as well, um, made, has made such a big difference. And I've been trying to champion it on a couple of other projects, but unfortunately, not everyone loves it as much as yeah. it sounds like you do. Yeah, just a flag to listeners. We're not sponsored by Slack in case you're worried yeah, at all. Yeah, it's just per, per, personal twisted preferences. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think it makes a big difference. Uh, definitely. I mean, you made a point earlier, actually, I thought it was a good one about having a big spreadsheet where you track everything and you know who's responsible. I've used that on a current project. I'm doing an M1 to M2 and it's, um, it's helped massively. I've, it, there's two things I've done which, uh, which have, I, I don't normally do this because it's not normally my role, but I'm after each design sprint was signed off, I then mapped all of the content, visual and copy based in each of those designs into the spreadsheet at page and journey level. Because one of the things, and, you're, and you'll be able to vouch this, is things happen during design sign offs where stuff gets changed that you thought was originally agreed as a requirement. And if you don't map that back, the content people could suddenly find a, they're producing something that's no longer needed, which really winds them up. And B, there's gaps in what they produce based on what now is the signed off design. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, I completely agree. And also people that may be assigning, and it's pretty much what you just said, but 
uh, there'll probably be people that are involved in the early stages of kind of design and design discovery that aren't involved in the sign-off. Yes. Um, and I've definitely, I found a, a project I worked on where there was a lot of revision around tablet um, design and that definitely impacted uh, content and like the content being prepared and like the comms around, um, yeah, kind of changes in asset um, dimensions and things like that weren't communicated. And uh, to start off with, we weren't kind of building in certain breakpoints and then suddenly we did and we needed to redesign certain bits around that. Um, so yeah, I think that's um, an important one. Exactly. I find like, the, 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 the um, client project lead role is like being an operator on a switchboard because something happens in a design partner based on a business stakeholder who's cha made a change at the end. And that is going to impact another part of the business in terms of content production. So you as an operator have to funnel that into that other person. Otherwise, they would have no visibility of it at all. And they'd carry on chucking you know putting together content and working hard and get to the end and be told it's not right and then get really really disillusioned that they've just wasted all that time producing what they thought was good quality content yeah absolutely yeah um so you uh you mentioned earlier about wanting to keep site redesigns and rebrands um separate but sometimes it's not possible so share your experience on how does a, a redesign or rebrand complicate content migration yeah absolutely so um, I think it's, it's even beyond content migration like, I just think like as good as um, it is to build it into one uh, project and it can obviously be cost-effective as well and it means that you're kind of doing this big project once rather than splitting it into two slightly smaller projects um, but I think personally I think that if you're doing a, like most of the projects that I work on are have tight deadlines or tight timelines um, and I think if you're doing a redesign to do it properly, um, you, know, you mean there's okay. projects without tight deadlines? They uh, exist. Yeah, I, yeah, no, that's <laughs> them. but um, but yeah, I'll I think yeah, I think um, yeah, if you're doing a redesign, do it properly, and like everyone wants kind of like this big UX influence, and they want like everything to be really considered around their customers. Um, and I think to do that properly, it can take kind of up to six months. As like with so many different kind of stakeholders, and to get this kind of best in class like redesign that's really geared around their business their product their customers um and if that's the case i'm i just think that it um kind of muddies the waters a bit and also just becomes too big a project when there's like a replatforming as well particularly if you're moving from one very different platform to another um so wherever i can i try and kind of uh, move that to being a separate scope of work as a phase two um or even beyond phase two um that way you can just focus on the front end is essentially the same just keeping kind of the scope quite simple on that side and making it easier and kind of making content migration easier and the seo side easier um, and then everything's really about functionality and then usually my kind of approach is to kind of uh, leave it open in terms of kind of usability improvements um so particularly on mobile um but yeah so kind of minor enhancements um as opposed to kind of redesigning in general and then there's also usually less stakeholders involved as a result but it is also uh, like really hard to govern that through when you still go through a design phase and you've got kind of senior stakeholders that don't usually get the opportunity to be in those kind of meetings um with very different objectives um and i think it is really hard to stick to but um 
yeah, the projects that I've been involved in where there's been no design changes have definitely been the smoother projects. Yeah, I, I do. I can completely understand that. I, I've had one at the moment where basically there's a real um, like fight between wants to make something perfectly on brand and the most beautiful user experience because that's uh, ideally you have you give the best possible customer experience online. That's what drives um, yeah, customer satisfaction and results. However, you have a time frame, and some things come back to your point. Unless you do a proper user-centered um, journey design and analysis, which takes planning and research, etc., you have to make compromised decisions, which then goes against the "we want the most beautiful customer experience" thing. It's, it's really hard to marry the two together sometimes, and especially sometimes to get a business owner or an investor you know, or a senior director to buy into something that isn't as perfect as you know it should be, simply because you have to make that compromised decision to be live on time. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I think it, it definitely simplifies things if um, you're just focusing on the technology and functionality side. Yes, if only life were so beautifully um, uh, uh, simple each time yeah. you get into a project and those decisions could be made. So that leads me to another question. Um, everything has to start somewhere. So when we're talking about these you know, issues with content migration and what you can do about it, how do what's your advice to people how do you go start the process of content migration what are the critical things that you need to do as an e-commerce team to be ready to migrate content so um i guess the first thing is that um piece that we've both talked about ready and kind of building the kind of i guess just auditing all of your content and building a list that kind of summarizes all of your content and all of the different types of content um, and then basically plan around it and from there you'll start to kind of um, allocate responsibility and kind of split out different tasks and split it out by type of content um, and then you can start to plan and kind of build timelines around migrating um, and get an idea of how much work there is for different people that are involved um, and then figure out how that fits in with existing workloads and other aspects of the project. Um, so I think that's probably the kind of starting point. Yeah, definitely. I think mean, the, the content order bit is something that any team can get on and do. And you can actually, you can actually get on and do that even if you haven't yet selected your, your new platform. If you know you've committed to a migration, somebody in the business can go do a content audit so that when you're at the point where you've selected a new vendor and agency, you've already done that audit, you can bring it into discovery. I mean, that's the idea. That's the winning ticket, basically, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. And um, and just like, I guess, yeah, you can do it at any point. And usually with that, I would just try and um, I guess you have different ways of doing it. But like the back end of a platform um, will usually be like a good starting point in terms of kind of finding existing content across different types of pages um, and then off the back of that I'd usually try and use GA as well to like dissect kind of uh, different types of content and try and find uh, pages that maybe uh, don't exist anymore or pages that you wouldn't necessarily find in obvious places within the platform um, and then I'd usually try and get an SEO to kind of crawl the site yeah. um, as well to just pull out any other kind of be it like dynamic pages or um, any other kind of pages that might be and the other thing that I always find I usually find for big projects is that there's like random sections of the site that might be on another platform um, or like on a random subdomain somewhere that you need to be migrated as well um, so yeah all of that can kind of usually be found via um, an SEO or kind of different crawls of the site yeah definitely I've, I've always advised people if they don't have 
an SEO partner or an in-house and they don't have a budget to do it, just use, uh, use a tool like Screaming Frog yourself. You can run a, yeah. I know it's not as advanced as a, a specialist SEO would do, but you can even run a basic crawl and then just export all the stuff from GA or your, whatever analytics you do, export the crawl, do a look up and comparison and find out where the gaps are. So yeah, good, good advice. Um, question I've got in my mind is, is this, so let me, let me do the setup and then I'll, uh, I'll let you do the hard answer. Yeah. Um, there are so many different content types and assets that go into a website, right? We've, we've talked about quite a few. So landing pages, which have images, they have copy, they have call to actions that have labels on there that you need text for. There's editorial storytelling content and all of the content that sits in those pages down to the headings, subheadings, body copy, images, text or, or, or overlays, and whatever it might be. Then you've got functional content like navigation, the labels, you know, in drop-down menus and the images that appear there, category pages, list pages, product pages, blow our down, SEO metadata, customer service pages, standard CMS stuff, third-party uh, content like reviews, system messages like cookie, consent stuff, to policy pages, you keep going and going and going and down the, the rabbit hole, right? Even down to um, error messages uh, across different parts of the site, checkout in other forms, uh, configurable property tech, all this stuff, right? So it's it's like this rabbit hole of stuff. That often scares the living daylights out of people when you start to explain to them just how much content's on the site. So what have you learned over the years of how can people get efficiencies of this where they can they can automate things? So you don't have to create everything manually, you can do some automation to like speed up and generate things en masse. What are some of the little nuggets that you could share with people? So I think a lot of this comes down to the technology you're using. Um, one thing we haven't spoke about yet, actually, that I've just realised we haven't spoke about, is different languages as well. Um, and I guess that's another one that falls under efficiencies um, in terms of kind of being able to build a page and then publish that across different stores and then localise certain bits in local language. Um, so, yeah, I think a lot of it comes into when you're kind of building, so parts of it at least, come into when you're kind of building out requirements from a content perspective um, thinking about how you can manage content via kind of reusable components that are available across um, different page types and different templates um, so that can be really effective um, even if it's like say you have a template for like a banner for example and then it's just a case of changing like a heading and uh, some kind of body text um, but you can actually reuse the format of that banner um, yeah like it can make a big difference um and then the same principle for managing things across different languages and i guess some platforms have um kind of global local style kind of multi-store management which can really help with that as well um and then beyond that i guess just trying to create templates um as much as possible so the same principle can apply i mean like if you're using a platform um that maybe where you have to manage things using html um kind of creating html templates that can be used across different products so like size guides might be an example of that dependent on your technology stack um where you need kind of a template and then you need to adapt bits for different product types um yeah so i mean and then everything else i think it's just a case of really like assessing things and thinking about yeah just trying to build kind of kind of group things based on the tasks that need to be done around it like images is probably another one where you can um if you're doing um kind of lots of resizing you can either probably automate certain bits or um create templates depending on what that looks like um yeah, so I think, I mean, unfortunately, I don't think there's any, I wish there was like some kind of like 
migration tool for uh, content that made things really efficient. But um, aside from kind of the obvious um, kind of product category um, and kind of general data migration, um, usually there's just a lot of manual work and it's just a case of planning it as well as possible and um, trying to get the best tooling to help with templating. But there's, there's always going to be a lot of manual work. Yeah, there is. I mean, that's the reality. You've got to set realistic expectations for me. But I think there's a few things I've, I've discovered in the years to give people a few pointers that help them avoid having to read it. Because often it's it's not so, not always just about automated. It's also about avoiding having to redo stuff unnecessarily. And a couple of classic examples for me is there is a tendency in a design phase to put placeholder stuff in. Um, so placeholder copy, headings, images. And that's either down to just not having prioritised or not having had the time. And that's fine in terms of getting a visual design signed off. But the problem it creates is when you drop in real live content, if your content happens to be structured differently or longer than you envisage, it can suddenly blow out the design, which then leads you to either having to rewrite the copy to fit the design or redoing the design to enable the uh, longer copy. So it, it really pays to 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 create um, real life content to put in a design. So it doesn't mean you have to do every bit of content up front. A good example is PDP. Get the product information for one product ready so that you make the PDP based on that product. And then at least you can see the full product title. Take your longest product title, for example, so you can see the edge case. Um, look at the full product details as it sits in the tab. You know, how does it work? What does it do to push content down the screen? Just try and uh, minimize disruption later on because you've, you've thought through based on real copy rather than just placeholder and dummy stuff. Sorry, I was muted. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I think that's really good advice. Um, and I think really it's just a case of getting as much kind of advice like this as you can from people that really kind of, um, yeah, like that have done it before, or people that really know the platform, because a lot of this can be platform specific as well. Yeah, yeah, that is a very good comment, actually. And because and, I don't focus and specialise from a solution point of view on a particular platform, then that's definitely why I defer to people like yourself who's got more solutions, implementation knowledge because um, there are eccentricities of platforms. One thing that I've definitely learned on this project, well, not learned, one thing it's reminded me of is ensuring that when you plan out content modules at page level, you don't get developers to build it so that the content module is there and you have to populate it. You build it so that the module appears if content is in there. If, it, if there's no content populated in the CMS, then it just doesn't display and the page realigns. A, a, good, a good example of this is, a module that I've seen on a PLP, which is enables you to basically do like subcategory tiles at the top of a PLP to, to quick link people in. And the initial view of building it was, okay, we've got that on all your PLPs. And then that would have meant that it would have just had empty image placeholders and, and headings unless content was put in. Whereas I flipped it to say, no, it's there, but if no content is populated, it doesn't show. And subtle changes like that can make a world of difference because now the content team doesn't have to create 246 different modules or worry about copying over a module from one page into all the other PLPs because if they don't want it to appear, they just don't put content in. Yeah, 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 that makes sense. Save people the pain. <laughs> yeah. And um, leads me on to my final question for you. It's the... This is like the, what's the answer to life, the universe and everything, basically. 
how much time is required to input content into a CMS? You've gone through all this process, you're producing content, now you've got to stick stuff into a CMS ready for launch. How long before um, like getting into full-on UAT, do you normally advise people to allocate to start uploading stuff? Yeah, I think um, I try to get it done as soon as possible. And I guess like when I've worked on projects, there's two things that cause like big problems and delays. Um, or two of the things that cause big problems and delays are uh, content migration and SEO. So content migration, so most of the projects that I've had that have been delayed um, have come from the client. So the client um, not planning properly around um, kind of populating content basically, um, or just underestimating the task of content migration. So I would usually try and get it started as soon as things have kicked off really so usually that would be maybe uh des designs are signed off or at least kind of the project scope is signed off and then i'd start content migration and then you'd basically plan to do content migration so that it's way so it's finished way in advance of uat um so that's that side and i guess like the same principle applies to the seo side and the redirects which i would kind of loosely build into this as well um so yeah just as soon as possible really um yeah start early and definitely have it all finished before uat yeah exactly i think that's the most important thing isn't it it's it, it's always like don't don't wait to be told to start just get as soon as you've got a definition of content um start producing it the, the client I'm working with at the moment, working with their content lead to basically align content production to the development sprint so that it's staged because the last thing a content person wants to be told is, here's 686 content assets, please produce them. Like, okay, but when? What priority order? Are you, what point are the critical dates? When will I need to start uploading versus I've got the stuff ready? So really help people by staggering the deadlines so they can prioritise within their teams. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, that's all the questions that I wanted to, to ask today. Is there anything else that you wanted to, to discuss and share around the content migration piece? I don't think so. I think, um, you know, most of what we've said really is just planning is key. Um, and like the earlier you build that kind of plan and the earlier you get everything into the platform, um, the more room you've got to then kind of adapt things or, and kind of apply that additional layer of QA. Um, and I think that's, that's it really, just getting it done as soon as possible. Um, and yeah, kind of planning properly. They're probably the two main things. Yeah, cool. Good, good, uh, good parting words of wisdom. So, uh, thanks as, as always for everyone for listening. Appreciate it. Uh, please do share this episode if you think other people be interested. And if you've got any questions as always, just, just hit me and pull up through social uh, media. Always happy to, to answer any more questions. Um, thanks, Paul. Always a pleasure to chat, mate. I'll leave you to enjoy your evening. Brilliant.